Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, this isn't going to come as a shock to those of you who know me, um, but as I look back over my life and my personality, I find that I'm a little bit of a contrarian, that I like to kind of go and march to the, the beat of my own drum. And I knew this because I look back, and there are a couple of incidents. So one, when I was like a little, little kid growing up in Central Florida, college football was king. Everybody was all about college football. And specifically, it was the University of Florida and Florida State, the Gators and the Seminoles, to the point where even as like a first grader, kids would be like, hey, are you a Gator or are you a Seminole? And, and I, being a contrarian, was like, I'm a Miami Hurricane because I just wanted to be slightly different. Um, and then as I got older and went into prep school and they had a, uh, a strict dress code that said you had to wear either a polo shirt or like a nice button-up shirt, it couldn't have any words, it couldn't have any logos, it couldn't have any pictures on it, um, I found a loophole and I wore Hawaiian shirts every single day until the next year they wrote a rule that said I could not do that. Um, then as I got older and was in high school and, uh, and getting close to college, as my classmates at said prep school were preparing for like pre-med and finance and business, um, I knew that I was going to be going into the church, the only one in my entire school doing that. Um, and then even still to this day, my favorite sport, despite living in Florida and Houston, is hockey. Like, why, how does that happen? I don't know. But I have this contrarian part of me that says, okay, you want to go that direction. I mean, I'll go that direction, but like slightly, slightly different, right? And the reason I bring that up is that I think we as Christians should in some form adopt the same mindset, that we kind of follow along, but just ever so slightly, we're different, before we go into that, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. I thank you for the chance to share your message, and I pray that it is your message. I pray that the words that I speak are not my own, but that they are from you. I submit myself to you. I humbly become before you and ask that you would speak your truth in this time, and I pray that, that we all would be willing to do the same, to submit ourselves to your Holy Spirit, that what we hear would be the message that you need us to hear. We thank you. We praise you. In your name. Amen. Again, welcome to those of you joining online. Uh, I've had people ask, you know, hey, how can we, do you have manuscripts of your sermons or anything? All of our sermons are filmed and put later on in the day on YouTube. So you can go on our website. There's a link to the, the sermons or the full service um, if you want to check out the children's message again. Um, but when I look at our gospel reading today, it's the, the story of, or it's the Beatitudes. It's Jesus' teaching. And it's probably something that if you've been in church for part of your life, or some of your life, you recognize, you saw, and you go, oh yeah, that's, that's the blessings, the Beatitudes. Um, and I was curious where that term comes from. It's uh, Latin, beatus, meaning blessing, and then they uh, believe that it's kind of tacked on with deu at the end, which means to do. So it's kind of a, a blessing with an action tied alongside of it. Um, and I think because we've heard it so often, we hear these, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. We hear these things, and we're kind of like, yeah, okay, that's Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain, right? But we lose the power of it. We lose almost kind of the shock value that no doubt came with the first people hearing that, because the Beatitudes do not line up with the way of the world. I mean, look at this. It's talking about being poor in spirit. It's about being mourning and meek and, and being hungry and thirsty and, and persecuted, you aren't exactly going to find this on the shelf in the self-help section of the bookstore. You're certainly not going to see it in any of the political ads that are interrupting the Astros games, right? 
You're not going to get a politician up there, I'm going to be the most meek politician you can have. Nobody is going to do that. And I think that's interesting and perhaps a statement about our current state of politics. But the teaching of about, or from Jesus, it's all about seeking less. It's all about thinking of yourself less. And that's the struggle. And really, it comes up against the teachings of the world. Because see, what Jesus is teaching to is a, a situation, a culture, where the religious leaders had power. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, they were there among the government. And then the governmental leaders, they were revered. In some ways, almost viewed as gods. And the wealthy, they had the biggest say. So you could say that first century Israel was very similar to 21st century America. And so when we hear the Beatitudes, it should hit us pretty hard. We should look at it and say, whoa, okay, Jesus, like this is some pretty tough stuff you're putting out there. This, this doesn't exactly line up with what we are taught. This isn't exactly the American dream. Jesus is challenging us to be different than the world. Now, I, I've spoken about this fairly recently. It, it's not like a sin to have. It's not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to be successful. But it's not about what you have. It's about what you want. It's about how your heart is longing for something. The first commandment tells us that our heart should be longing for God, that that is the one true God that we should be worshiping, not the idols of our salary or our reputation or our popularity or our status in the world. And so what Jesus is saying is put yourself to the side. Think of yourself less. The question ultimately is what rules your life? What is in control? If you let your heart be humble for God, you're following the teachings of Jesus. Now, it's obvious that that is not the way of the world. That is not the way the world teaches us to think, the way the world teaches us to act, and certainly isn't the way the world acts. And so some Christians, some churches, their response to that is to just remove themselves. So you know what? The world is corrupt and falling apart. I want nothing to do with it. And I got to tell you, as an introvert, that is tempting. <laughs> Get a cabin out in the middle of nowhere, go off the grid. Boy, that sounds pretty nice. But that is not our calling as Christians. That is what, not what we are supposed to be doing. I actually wrote a paper in seminary about St. Francis, who was that monk who, who kind of started that whole monastic aesthetic life where you're, you're removed from everything. And I said that was damaging ultimately to the church because people got in their mind that this is the ideal Christianity and they started removing them, themselves from the culture. But I think there's some important things that we need to learn here from, uh, from the, this, this sermon on the mount, right? First, Jesus lived upside down. He lived in opposition to what the world was teaching. The world was saying, pursue this yourself, get more status. The more status, the more wealth, the more power you have, the more of a say you have. And Jesus is saying, no, be meek. No, be humble. Approach your life as though you aren't the one in control. It's challenging, yes. But that's very clear what Jesus is teaching. And who are we to say, well, Jesus, I don't know if you know what you were talking about here. The challenge is to take the standard of the world and say, yeah, I'm going to go the other way. When I say Jesus living upside down, it means he's taking the understanding. It's still there. It's still the life is there, but, but it's just tweaked. And so he lives on humbly. There's this temptation to remove ourselves, 
to say, well, the way to do that is to just walk away from the temptations of the world, to walk away from the corrupt, to walk away from, from the, the me first mentality. If I'm removed from that, then things are better. But there's something else we can learn here. Jesus was counterculture, but he wasn't anti-culture. See, Jesus said, okay, this is the way culture is going, but don't remove yourself. Because see, this is the difference between John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist, the way that he taught, he was out in the wilderness. And what did he do? He was baptizing people, but they had to come out to him, right? He was waiting for them to come to him. But Jesus, Jesus entered right into the communities. He walked into the market square. He walked to the well. He walked to the temple where the people already were where they were gathered, where life was happening. He walked into the midst of it. And yes, he still maintained who he was. He maintained his convictions, but was in the heart of life. He was in the heart of the temptations and the sin and the frustration. He was in the heart of the me first thinking. Whereas John the Baptist, so many churches have taken that mindset. Well, we're going to be over here uh, and we just hope that you'll come to us. We just pray that you'll come into our doors. And once you do, oh, amazing things are going to happen. But Christians should be following the model of Jesus, walking into the culture and the society. As Christians, we need to be a part of the community. We need to be sitting at the community table because that's how we have a voice. That's how we can proclaim truth. That's how we can be representatives of this upside-down way of thinking about humility and mercy and grace. We need to be at the table with the community leaders. But there's a tension that has to be balanced there. Because when you're sitting at the table with the community, that means sitting around you are going to be people that you deem to be sinners. That you deem to be below you. And how do you approach that? How do you handle it? Because you don't want to endorse the way that they're living. But, but how do you balance this idea of keeping to your convictions while also being there? Well, Jesus gave us the example. Jesus said to approach it with meekness to approach it with humility, to approach it with mercy. I'm reminded, I've shared this story before, but I, I truly think about it all the time, and so it's worth sharing again. Uh, when I was in Florida, I, I went viral, got the attention of some local news, and uh, a news producer one time messaged me online and said, hey, um, I'm not a Christian, I don't normally come to church, but I'd like to check out your church, because you seem like you have, have it understood. You kind of understand what's going on in the world. I said, okay, that'd be great. And like inside, I'm like, yes, this is amazing. And so she came to church, and I was helping out that day. I was part of the service, so I, I couldn't sit with her, but I sat beforehand and kind of guided her through, like, this is what you're going to expect. She was really nervous. It was her first time really coming to church in earnest. And so throughout the service, I kind of kept her in the corner of my eye and was kind of watching what she was doing, and she was singing along. She was kind of stumbling along through the prayers, but she was there. And at one point, she even seemed like she was getting emotional. And so after the service, I went over to her and I said, well, what'd you think? And she's like, I'll be honest, I was, I was terrified coming in here. Like, this is intimidating. But it was a lot better than I thought. It was a really powerful experience. I was like, that's great. And she started asking me these really deep questions. I was like, there's a, a much longer conversation to be had here. And then we went out into the lobby. And I noticed that there was a bake sale going on. And I was like, hey, my treat, pick out some cookies, and, and I'll, I'll take care of you, and we'll get you some cookies. It's gonna be, this is going to be a great first impression. So she goes and gets her cookies, and as I'm like using the little square reader to pay, she starts talking to the person who was in charge of the bake sale. And the person tells her, oh, yeah, this is, all of this benefits our March for Life. And the girl went white as a sheet and wasn't rude about it, but turned to me and said, hey, thanks, thanks for having me. I got to go, and just left. 
And I realized then thinking back, looking at her social media, that again, she wasn't religious, but politically she considered herself pro-choice and that that was a big deal to her. And I realized that we had had an opportunity to reach her in faith, an opportunity to speak to her in the gospel, but because of this political division, that door was slammed shut. And I struggle because we have to stick to our convictions, but at the same time, we have to approach it delicately with mercy and grace and humility so that those conversations about faith can happen. Because at the end of the day, what matters isn't the label pro-life, pro-choice, Republican, Democrat. None of that matters. The only label that matters is saved. The only label that matters is Christian. It doesn't matter if we're right or wrong on a moral issue. What matters if they know the life-giving news of the gospel. It's like if somebody goes overboard and rather than throwing them a life raft, you're shouting, hey, you shouldn't have jumped out of the boat. Yeah, that may be true, but first, get them saved. Before you're shouting at them how they were wrong for what they did, and you can have that conversation about nautical safety later, first, get them on the life raft, then have the conversation. And then here's the other reality. Here's the other stark thing, because we're sitting at this table, the community table, and we're looking around and saying, well, sinner, sinner, sinner. Yeah, sinner. Because that boat that we're on that we're so proud of and telling people about nautical safety, it's sinking. For all have fallen short, ourselves included. It doesn't matter how long you stay on that boat. It doesn't matter whether you understand nautical safety. You can't swim. At the end of the day, we're all going to need that same life raft. So let's approach this conversation delicately with humility, with grace. That's how Jesus did it. Look at how he interacted with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was known to the whole community as being this sinner, as being this person who had lied and cheated and stolen from all of them. But how did Jesus approach it? He didn't go, hey, you in the sycamore tree, you dirty thief. You should know better than that. No, he said, come down. Let's go to your place. Let's have a meal together. Let's sit. Let's, let's have a moment as people, as broken people. Jesus wasn't broken, but they were able to sit down together and show compassion. And because of that, what happened to Zacchaeus? Suddenly he was overcome with the spirit of truth. He was overcome with the spirit of repentance and he turned from his lying, cheating ways and he said, listen, I've done wrong to all these people and not only am I gonna do it right, I'm gonna do it right fourfold. That's what Jesus is teaching in the Beatitudes. If you approach a situation like that with grace, with mercy, with humility, and let God do the work, how oh, amazing things can happen. Far too often the church gets in the way of the message of the kingdom of God. It's a challenge because we still have to stand by our convictions. We still have to, to be who we are and stand by what is right and wrong. But remember, what is right and wrong matters less than whether or not the person knows their Savior. Because that's the last thing that we can learn. If the first thing that we learned from, from the Beatitudes was that Jesus lived upside down, the third thing is that Jesus lived from the inside out. He found himself in those town squares. He found himself surrounded by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, right? He was teaching in the temple, surrounded by people. And yet he spent his entire ministry with his head on the swivel, looking to see who wasn't allowed at the table, looking to see who society had excluded for whatever reason, whether because of disease or because of their past. And we as Christians should be doing the same. As we sit at that table, 
We should be looking around and saying, who's marginalized? Who's pushed to the outside? Who's left out of this conversation? And how can we show them that they matter? Whether it be because of their language, the color of their skin, their age, their gender, whatever it is, we need to figure out a way to reach out to people with compassion and figure out a way to get them at the table so that they too have a voice. That's what Jesus did. Jesus showed love to the people that the world said, no, 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 you're not lovable. You're on the outside, not only society, but literally on the outside of the city. Jesus loved them, and he loves us. He knows about the mistakes in your past. He knows about the dark spots in your heart, and yet he still loves you. Don't fool yourself that thinking just because you come to church every Sunday, somehow you're a miraculous person. Your boat's still sinking, and you still can't swim, but God provides a life raft. We're all in need of a Savior. And I pray that we can approach that with humility. We can approach that with the very same mercy that he shows to us. That's our prayer in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's a challenge there. May we not listen to the world that says, no, no, look out for yourself. May we instead begin to think of the message of Jesus Christ. May we begin to live a different life full of mercy and grace. May we be set apart in humility, but drawn together in love. And maybe remember that everything we do is done with the goal of growing the kingdom of God. Not through anything that we do, not through our great ideas, not because of the power that we have, not because of we're living the right life, but because of the life that Jesus lived for you, for us, for the world. Let us live differently, humbly, with love. Amen.